Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who would be perfectly happy if InfoWars were kicked off of YouTube. Yeah. My, yeah. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I am a general pediatrician here in Des Moines, Iowa at Blank Children's Hospital. And we've got a pretty good episode planned uh, today. We are talking to Dr. Chad Hayes and Natalie Newell from the Parenthetical, no, yes, Parenthetical Science Podcast. I almost messed that up. Uh, And I I imagine they will have some fascinating things to share with us. I I imagine so. Um, But I imagine so. But before we do that, uh, let's do our Around the Web. I'm going to have you go okay. first, Nathan, because okay. I'm super excited about mine. <clears throat> oh, good. Well, I am going to take a minute to plug a video that I did and that relates to a larger conversation. So if you go to my Facebook page, which you just type in Nathan Boonstra on Facebook, you can find that. Pinned to the top should be a video that I did about needle phobia. And I was inspired to make a short video on that. And hopefully if I get my act together, I'll get a more in-depth blog post put up about it as well. Um, <clears throat> because of the recent case that we've, uh, I think you and I have both read about, uh, involving the rabies case in Florida. So there was a case of a six-year-old who was exposed and somehow injured. The details look a little fuzzy to me on the news reports, but injured by a bat that was presumably an ill-appearing bat uh, and was uh, because according, you know, we're not going to have all the details of it, but according to the news report, Uh, the child had a fear of needles and this was the reason that the family then did not get extremely important medical care um, at a hospital or ER Um, and the child passed away from rabies because rabies untreated uh, you know they didn't know for sure at the moment that the child would have rabies or not they went online looked at some alternative treatments or home treatments and whatnot chose to do that and when the child started to develop symptoms, unfortunately, the vast majority of the time, that's too late um, <coughs> to get the treatment. Um, and so a case like this, I don't want, you know, obviously there's probably more going on in terms of that decision making. But if it is true that any level of fear of needles, which is real, I mean, we have to acknowledge that a lot of people refuse vaccines because of myths that are out there. but a percentage of people refuse vaccines because they know that it's very stressful for their child or that their child has a a severe fear of needles or even just a level of anxiety that may be more than average but it's a significant uh, it has a significant effect on on uh, the family dynamic and so anything we can do to reduce that uh, I think is important and my video goes in a bit into some of the things that you can do but the upshot of it is you know how Karen we talk about messaging with vaccines all the time we talk about the importance of like putting out good information to the general public and to our friends but it's also important that we as parents and as providers have good vaccine messaging towards each child that's getting immunized and that can start early so starting to have conversations about vaccines with your kid when they're little reading books about it when they're little and always talking about vaccinations in a positive light that this is something we want to do acknowledging the fact that it hurts but that it doesn't hurt forever that it doesn't hurt for very long and that it is manageable and that your child is great and can will be just fine is kind of the message that you want to get out early did you have much what was your kind of experience immunizing your kids in terms of that uh in terms of that kind of message right um you know i have a thought about that um mm-hmm. and that's that I, I as you're talking i'm thinking about this divorce case that's been very public in michigan mm-hmm. um tony dr tony bark who maybe yeah. i'll bring her up later in the podcast maybe you know. will yeah maybe. um she was called as an expert witness there and then uh, a Michigan doctor whose name is escaping me was called as a witness for the father who wants to immunize their children. And the pros- the the mother's lawyer, so the mother's against vaccinating, wanted to take 
the uh, father's expert witness through what vaccines is she going to have to get, how many doses, and he had like a cutout of a child and he wanted to like stick needles in the cutout for every dose of every vaccine. And the, the doctor knew it was up. Yeah. And you could see on her face that she was just like, this is ju- just ridiculous. And, um, you know, and she, and she, I shouldn't say objected because that's a uh, legal term, but she was, she said to the, to the lawyer, she said, that's not how vaccines are given. It's not like she's going to go in and be stuck with all these needles, but it certainly is a huge scare tactic that anti-vaxxers like to use as far as look at all of these needles, you know, that's supposed to be a really frightening thing to, to look at. Um, and the, you know, the, the doctor even says something, you know, we're going to torture this child with all of these needles because she should have had these vaccines so long ago. Um, but I also was thinking about that, about how much easier it is to bring your infant in to get vaccinated than it is, you know, your child right before they go into kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, um, you get some, you can get some pushback from your 11 year old when you take them in to go get sure. those vaccines. You know, it's like, why am I getting these? And, you know, it's good to know and to be able to tell him and to have him understand that it's, it's part of disease prevention. But I do wonder how much of needle phobia plays into e- even the anti-vaxxers who, you know, promote so much misinformation i wonder how much of their fears are bolstered by a certain amount of needle phobia oh i think that's absolutely true and the other side of this case too that's worth bringing up is sometimes we talk about like alternative medicine and people say oh what's the harm in alternative medicine because most alternative medicine is not actually active and doesn't do anything doesn't do much to make you better but doesn't do a whole lot to put you at risk most of it there's obviously some exceptions but if you're getting online and the message that you're finding somewhere is uh, is not, if your child is bit by a bat, take them into the ER full stop, do not pass go. And the message that you're seeing is, here's some things you can do if you don't trust mainstream medicine and uh, you know the, the whole, you know, do this stuff at home, that in this case, you know, it, it had a tragic outcome. Um, so, you know, don't ever, don't ever let anybody, uh, fully into thinking that alternative medicine is harmless. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that those people, um, who put things like that on the internet, internet, <laughs> on the internet, <laughs> um, are culpable in that child's death. Yeah. That's, that's serious stuff. And we treat it like... We, we treat it like it's no big deal. You know, the, the FDA certainly doesn't have any teeth in stopping it. Um, social media doesn't have any desire yeah. to stop that. Yeah. And, and it, here's a child who might be alive had misinformation not been readily available. You know, had there not been, oh, you don't have mm-hmm. to get that shot, do this instead. They might have been like, sorry, the only thing that's available is a shot, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yep. Who knows? But Hard to say. Yeah. Um, well, I, I have an around the web as well. Yeah, go. Um, and this is a tad bit self-indulgent. <laughs> super so duper yes super duper exciting and um extremely useful for everyone everywhere mm-hmm. i uh after many many months working on it my piece titled social media in the exam room stories of hpv disease and prevention uh is now available online wow it was published in academic pediatrics i guess I mean, I got the email at 3.10 a.m. Okay. So this is brand new, fresh. And for people who are interested in reading it, it, it I posted it on So Far the Voices for Vaccines Facebook page. Yeah. And I'll be sharing it on Twitter as well. And I'll put it in, um, I think I'll put it in the show notes here too. Uh, but it, it, was, it, it was a really fun piece to write, sort of about how um, it started off as how providers and people who work in clinics can change the social media space concerning HPV cancers and HPV vaccines Mm -hmm. in order to change what happens in the exam room. 
um, sort of on point with you know, we were just talking about about needle phobia and woo. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of transformed because one of my readers has said to me, "Why are you only talking about providers?" And I was like, "Well." touche yeah, yeah so <laughs> so i expanded it um and and basically what i really want to see more of is people sharing their stories about you know trying to battle hpv cancers and i am seeing a lot more of those um and and i want people to to share those stories that they see a lot more broadly um, you know, our very first podcast episode was, of course, with Frederick Lumiere and Christine Bays. Mm-hmm. Um, still one of my favorite episodes uh, where we talked about the film Someone You Love. And, you know, I, I'm just I'm very excited that this article is finally live. I think I started writing it in December of 2016. Um, so it's uh, it's been a long journey. <laughs> I was actually just thinking last week, when are they publishing that? And here it is. So <laughs> great. So we can expect to see that. And I know you have social read it, media so. eyes. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, so I'm excited. And I'm, you know, it, it's going to be perfect for me because I am going to be. Ta- there, we're going to be doing an event in Des Moines in April, specifically for providers, because we've been feeling, in terms of those of us that are working on HPV rates in Iowa, that we don't reach out. We talk to a lot of public health people who aren't necessarily the people when when we do like webinars and stuff who aren't necessarily the people who are doing the immunizing. Uh, and aren't necessarily the people that the research says we need to be reaching. And so we're going to try to do some more with providers in the area. And so we've got a thing coming up and a speaker and whatnot. And I've got to do a very, fortunately, very brief uh, talk about Iowa there. And so I think this is going to be, this is going to inform that talk, I expect. Good. Although I, I, I am betting you. (laughs) <laughs> that when you read it, you'll be like, yep, that's exactly what I would expect Karen to say. And I have probably said half these things to her. No. So, yeah. <laughs> you always have fantastic insight into messaging, though. Uh, things that are coming from a parent perspective that I haven't thought of. Things that a provider can say that I haven't thought of. So, I'm excited okay. for this. I can't wait till you put this out there. But it's out. It's Go out there. It out. I can't wait till you show us all how to get to it. <laughs> all right. Um and so, you know, with that, I guess we should probably go ahead and introduce our two guests. Mm-hmm. So now we are joined by Natalie Newell and Dr. Chad Hayes, both from the Parenthetical Science Podcast. Natalie also has some pretty great science chops as the uh, writer and producer of the Science Moms film. And Chad Hayes is a pediatrician, and he also has a wonderful blog that whose name just escaped my brain. I called it Demystifying Pediatrics. Demystifying Pediatrics. Thank you very much for joining us, Natalie and Chad. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so I, I want to start with uh, uh, Chad for a moment because you went on a few, was it a month or two ago, you went on or you went to a conference that was um, must have been very educational about <laughs> integrative medicine. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us um, what you've added to your pediatric practice from that particular experience. Yeah, so that was, I learned a lot there. Um, the conference was down in Orlando, I think it was in November, and it was called Get Your Life Back Now. It was the uh, movers and shakers of the integrative medicine movement. And um, there were luminaries there like Andrew Wakefield and Joseph Mercola and um, Joseph Mercola's wife, I forgot her name, but she runs Health Nut News, which Aaron, is a, Aaron Health Aaron, Nut, Aaron, yeah. Yes. Um, she runs a um, medical journal called Health Nut News. And um, I learned so many things there about the different one true causes of diseases and the ways that you can cure autism with lasers and homeopathy and the fact that root canals are pretty much the cause of every disease. <laughs> and so I haven't really changed my practice a lot, but I did implement Joseph Mercola's recommendations to protect myself. And so now every day when I come home from work, I shut off all the electrical breakers <laughs> and um, and turn off the Wi-Fi and put my phone in airplane mode. <sighs> and uh, then I crawl into my silver mesh sleeping bag 
to prevent the EMF from causing cancer. Mm. And you're still alive, so there you go. (laughs) Works. Not a coincidence. Um, And Joseph Mercola sells the sleeping bag, right? He he did not have it for sale yet, but it oh, was okay. he was working to manufacture it and mm-hmm. get it listed on his site. Um, <laughs> there were, you know, there were only all of the people there who were trying to sell something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> only all the people. And so when you found out that Chad had gone to this uh, conference, you must have thought this this is the person to talk about science, correct, Natalie? Oh well, no, she sent me there. I. <laughs> partner in crime in the whole conference thing because yeah um i'm the person who found this conference through a facebook friend of mine tagged me in a picture of the flyer of this get your life back now featuring andrew wakefield and all of those as chad said movers and shakers and you know the the medical community and so i tweeted it and my friend james gurney from the league of nerds podcast and i and chad started joking that we should send a real doctor to this conference and it started as a joke but chad was like yeah i send me i will go to this and we did a gofundme and raised a bunch of money to help help fund his adventure so yeah i um i'm partly to blame for his weekend there or maybe mostly to blame for starting i hate you (laughs) And then, then we're like, let's do a podcast together. But yeah, that that was kind of the the thing that started it all for for us having a podcast was Chad being willing to go and just enter the den of woo for a weekend. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was your philosophy going into it? Were you? I I get the sense, you know, I, I followed your tweets and read your blog post and whatnot that you were. I'm sure part of you was really itching to just like stand up and debunk everything. But at the same time, I think you wanted to be, you wanted to be able to inform people and not necessarily be disruptive. Is it, did you have a philosophy like that going in? What were you, what were you thinking? What did you want to accomplish? Yeah, I had a a couple different goals, I guess. One is I truly just wanted to see what happened there. Um, Uh I've heard and read things about what happens at some of these conferences and um, I've certainly read some of Mercola's articles from his website, um, but I, I just wanted to kind of get an inside look at uh, what goes on there and what they're trying to teach and sell these people. Um, but another thing that I wanted to do is kind of try to understand why the people are there. Um, and that was probably the, the biggest revelations that I got out of the whole thing. Um, I knew everything was going to be uh, wooey and, um, and there would be a lot of pseudoscience going on there. And I was, I was impressed by that. (laughs) Even, even going in (laughs) with that perspective, um, there was more than I thought there would be. It was crazier than I thought it would be. Um, but that wasn't all that surprising. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was why the people were there and, and why these people who were peddling their services and products were able to sell them. And so some of those things, um, the, the audience mentioned specifically, um, and some of it, I just kind of picked up from being there, but there was a big sense that the, the medical field in general is kind of, uh, kind of letting people down. There's a lack of trust. Um, and I think that's uh, in bedside manner was something that came up a few times. And I think those are things that we can all work on. Um, and then there are other things that I don't know that we're able to affect. Um, a lot of the people there were engaged in other kind of conspiracy theories. And, um, and so I think that kind of thinking we're maybe less able to affect on our own. And that, that requires some buy-in from the people that are there. And, um, but the other thing that I took away from it, which was really just kind of sad is that they're basically what they're pushing is that there's this idea of perfection. Everything can be perfect. Um, you can be well or healthy or whatever word you want to use, but it basically means without any problems. And that's just an unrealistic goal. And, uh, and they're setting people up for disappointment. There was a lady there. Um, and I'll stop talking after this. Um, (laughs) 
there was a lady there who was sitting right behind me in one of the sessions and somebody was talking about how the uh, glyphosate or Roundup that is used in agriculture gets into our water supplies and then evaporates with the water and then falls back down as rain and contaminates everything, which it doesn't. Um, <laughs> but that's what they were talking about. And this lady had just sold everything that she had with her husband. They were retired. She was probably 60, 65 or so. And they just sold everything they had to buy a bunch of land and they spent all their money on that so they could grow their own food and, and be well. And oh. she made a comment to the person sitting beside her. I don't know what we're going to do because we don't have money to build a greenhouse. Oh, jeez. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, um, and that's just, there were other disturbing things, but that was probably the most disturbing thing to me. Yeah. See, there's there's a tragedy in that sort of, that somebody is so willing to buy into this that they they give up everything. And they're not going to achieve the results that have been, or that they believe, or that have been promised to them, or whatever. And that's to the detriment of their their own well-being and their lives and so i remember you talking about that after the after the conference and that yeah that one stuck with me that somebody would give give up so much mm-hmm. it for this hope and promise and yeah there's a tragedy to that it you know and that that kind of goes along with i think the work that um voices for vaccines does um that we that I hear a lot from people who used to be anti-vaccine and really knee deep in the woo that it's really hard to be anti-vaccine it's really hard to be a you know quote unquote natural parent and that's why I'm wondering you know Natalie you've you've been at your work for a long time I shouldn't say that like you're really old. You've been at your work for a while. And uh, you've been sort of working to have parents use evidence-based parenting and look at science. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how much of that is just to try to make things easier on people? Is it easier to be a science mom than a crunchy anti-vaccine woo mom? I mean, I, I would like to think so because I just... The basic fact that I'll speak from personal experience that because I believe that vaccines are safe because of the evidence, that's not something that is ever weighing on my mind. Like when I take my children to the pediatrician, who I've said this before, I've talked about my pediatrician's practice um, that my kids go to, they are a group of all women doctors who I remember from the first visit said, we we vaccinate children and if you are going to argue with us about vaccines this might not be the practice for you so i'm like you are the practice for me um i think that there is an ease in parenting when you trust the science and the evidence and the people who know what they're talking about i think parental stress is is a very real thing that could you know impact not just the parents' lives, but the the children's lives too. And to, I feel like there's some stress that goes along with being kind of the the crunchy woo mom because it seems like there's a lot that you're having to think about all the time. Like, what's the EWG saying about the dirty dozen for pesticides? What should I buy organic? What can I buy conventional? Should I vaccinate my children? Should I take my child to a chiropractor? These are questions that people are actually asking themselves. And these are questions that I've been able to sort of eliminate because, you know, I feel okay about feeding my children conventional produce. They're going to get vaccinated. The things I'm thinking about are, you know, just on a day to day basis. How are they doing? Are they developing like they should be? Are they? happy are they you know spending time with friends and doing things that that i want that i care about you know and so i don't know i personally think that there's a little bit more ease with being a you know evidence-based parent as opposed to you know just worrying about what what the new woo is that you need to keep up with and you know, anecdotally, I remember the stress of some of the parents that were overly concerned about, 
you know, things like whether or not when I worked at a school, if we were serving all organic food or I, I will never, ever forget the mom who told me that she has a goldfish free household, goldfish crackers, because somehow those those <laughs> she t- she said that the crackers scared her. Oh goodness! No, my, have, my dogs would lose a significant amount of weight if we had right. a goldfish free household. Goldfish free household. I don't have a goldfish free car floor. I mean, <laughs> me, me neither. Me neither. I those those crumbs do not leave ever. Goldfish gold, goldfish will survive us all. Those mm-hmm. crumbs. Yeah. So so I I remember too. Parents, you know, when I had my own kids, because um, I I had I'd been working as a teacher and then as a school director before I had my own children but then when I was pregnant like the advice would come in you know that I should watch a certain movie because of you know I I need to think about vaccines and I need to think about whether or not I want to vaccinate my children because they might get allergies or you know there's that autism connection these were real conversations I was having to engage in Hmm. and you know yeah no go ahead well, one of the things is, as I think you've kind of alluded to, is that rabbit hole is infinite. So there's an infinite number of treatments that don't work or that aren't shown to work. There will always be somebody coming up with another thing. And if you have the philosophy of, well, that didn't work, but it just didn't work for me, but maybe this works, you can go on forever to try to find the next thing that will work that actually doesn't work. Whereas when it comes to uh, actual medicine, there is at any given point in time a finite number of things that we have shown to work in the medical literature. And sometimes you come up against that wall, which is, you know, it's important for us as uh, providers to still be um considerate of families that are reaching that and find out what we can continue to do to support them and help them but there is still that kind of real limit there where that limit it's you know kind of if if you're not worried about being right or you're not worried about shame you can peddle anything uh infinitely to people and, and that's that's you know why you get into these situations where people are losing their house or selling their land because of <laughs> these concerns and and going broke on it and that also it goes the other way too not just with treatments but also with things to worry about um, yeah. I mean, if if you just start worrying about random things that are out there in the environment, you can find a new thing. Like every time we prove that one is safe, uh, you can pick something different. You can go from glyphosate to aluminum to uh, to GMOs to whatever. And no matter what evidence there is that those things are safe, there's always something else to worry about. Well, so, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, so what is it about vaccines in particular that seem to be sort of the nexus of so much woo why vaccines i think there's a lot that goes into that for i think one of the reasons is that we start doing vaccines at a very early age um most of them start at two months but the the hepatitis b vaccine we give in the hospital the current recommendations within 24 hours and so you have a brand new baby who in most cases is particularly healthy um and uh, and then we're going to inject something that the parents don't understand and they don't feel that there's a risk there and i think at some level that's different from giving a treatment. So I get very little pushback if I say, hey, your baby's sick, we need to do some antibiotics. The parents are like, oh, thank you. Thank you for fixing my child. Please take care. Please take good care of them. Um, but if I say, your baby's totally healthy and I'm going to inject this something into them to keep them healthy, um, I think that just, it feels different to parents. And then also, uh, they it's an active it's an active decision so if you don't vaccinate your child and something happens you can blame that on on something external you can blame that on the virus or the person who transmitted the virus to your child or whatever Um, but if something were to happen because you made a decision to give a vaccine um, and you know these things are exceedingly rare but 
Um, but in some parents' estimation, they're a lot more common than they are in reality. If you made a decision to give a vaccine and had an adverse event, then that's something that I think parents would feel more guilty about. Um, and I, I know when when kids actually do get vaccine-preventable illnesses and, and suffer greatly or die from them, the parents realize that they probably could have made a different decision that might have helped. But, um, but I think before they had that experience, it just, it just feels different. And has it, has it been more different in the, I mean, now we're like exactly 20 years since Andrew Wakefield, right? Kind of entered the scene with his 20 years ago yesterday, right? Okay. Yeah. Yesterday. I remember seeing an article and I sent it to Chad, but, um, is it before then were because i'm i'm 34 and my mom's a nurse so i don't think she was ever questioning whether or not to vaccinate me but was it different before the wakefield stuff happened and now people still are pointing to that whole anti-vaccine movement that he started with their fears it was absolutely different i mean there there were times in our history where people would stand in lines for vaccines um and so with with specific regard to vaccines there, you know, this is a relatively new thing in the in the past twenty years or so. Um, but I think the attitude has always been out there that that people don't trust some authority figure or um, or don't trust things they don't understand. There was the you know the kind of history of the DTP vaccine, the original wholesale vaccine that was going on in the eighties, mm-hmm. that in some ways parallels what we saw with Wakefield and the MMR autism myth, where kind of some initial findings or some reports were blown out of proportion by one particularly sensational media show, and so you had some of that going on, but I think that th- I think there's a big combination of in the late nineties of the oh that the the fact that a reasonably at the time respected researcher published in a very respected journal and the rise of the internet and whatnot that allowed you know now we're starting to see how bad information can get around quickly and undermine good information from physicians whereas in the 80s you might have heard something or read something or maybe you caught the show uh, but then you talk to your doctor and your doctor's like okay here are the facts I think that's a little more bit more difficult now that you can get into groups and forums and now we got social media that allows for echo chambers to concentrate that and so I think we're seeing and you know we're seeing that in lots of areas of mm-hmm. the world right now not just with vaccines <laughs> and not just with science but with a lot of echo chambers echoing false facts right and and this is so, going to be a long episode yes we're gonna, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we'll try not to uh, let, let, i'll just steer it back to vaccines so tell me in the in the conference that you went to chad you um did you see Doctor? Did you see? Sorry, did you see Andrew Wakefield uh, <laughs> speaking? What other vaccine-specific stuff did you see at your conference that we can discuss? Uh, vaccine specifically, they didn't come up a whole lot because it was mostly targeted at at the older audience. Most of the people there were probably mid forties to mid sixties ish, um, and a lot of it was about detecting cancer early and um, mm-hmm. and or, you know. Finding finding cancer that isn't there and doing cleanses and detoxes and stuff, um, so it wasn't pediatric focused. But um, there was one. Um, he's similarly used to be a doctor, but no longer has a license. Who um, organized the show, the conference, and he? Um, it was a it was a show. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. But he so did a lot of autism, um, air quotes, treatments. And uh, he mentioned several times that vaccines could cause cancer and that they should be avoided and they could cause autism and a bunch of other things. Um, Andrew Wakefield was the only one that specifically focused on them. And even that was pretty limited. He apparently didn't know he was going to speak at the conference. Uh, I think he thought he was there just for the, the gala that honored him and several other people who have contributed to the downfall of modern medicine. <laughs> and um, But he got up on the stage and uh, kind of stumbled around for a little bit. And he talked about the um, the next mass extinction. And it's it's upon us. It's about to happen right now. Is Ooh. it scheduled? Whoa. 
he didn't give a specific time. Okay. I think he, he might have learned something from um, from prophets about. <laughs> I think he learned something not, from the X Files. Not giving a date. Yeah. The X Files had a yeah. date, and then it never happened. So um, maybe that's. But he um, he mentioned that this next mass extinction is going to become uh, become an issue for two reasons. One is autism, um, in which he made what? the illogical and and quite offensive leap of suggesting that autistic people cannot reproduce. And oh my goodness! That, oh. He he is he's off the deep end even more than i realized right well he's he he seems to continue to go downhill um i think you have to keep getting more extreme uh to keep getting more followers in in that arena um but he he said the autism rates are going up he did this weird extrapolation thing where um you know because the rates are going up due to uh recategorization and increased awareness and that kind of thing um 20 30 40 whatever years from now we'll all be autistic and then um and then suggested that you know because the most severe cases of children with autism um will likely not go on to to have relationships and and procreate um that everyone with autism spectrum disorder is in that same boat um which is far from true and then sorry go ahead go I was just going to say, like, you're sitting there listening to this, right? Did you look around and see, like, were people eating this up when he was saying this? Or did people look, I mean, did people look horrified? I would be horrified listening to that. There were there were very few horrified. Depending on the oh speaker, gosh. there were varying levels of um, of interest. But uh, but for the most part, they they loved it all. Oh man! Um, so the other the other thing that's going to kill us all is uh, is mumps and <laughs> mumps. <laughs> so, oh, but it's it's in, it's indirect. Dude. Is it super mumps or something? Oh, indirect. No, it's, okay, it's not it's not a particularly lethal virus, but um, but here's here's the the reasoning, if you can call it that. Okay, Wakefield's reasoning. So the MMR vaccine tends to wear off after ten or so years. And we sometimes see mumps outbreaks in um, in you know college students or sports teams or whatever, um, and because of that, mumps can cause infertility in a small number of cases, and that is why because we're not allowing people to get the mumps virus naturally, um, he his assertion was that the vaccine allows them to get it later in life and become infertile and um and then we're just not going to be able to make new people Um, oh goodness (laughs) yeah but i mean we've had a long way to go before um before mumps takes us all out or lack of mumps (laughs) i feel like these are like andrew wakefield's shower thoughts that he then feels like he needs to stand up on a stage and tell people because this is just this is not the stuff you say to people no. no, no. Well, that's so many times when I see what anti-vaccine people say out loud in the world, I think, oh, you should have tested that by a sane person before you said it. <laughs> I, I, We had a Senate hearing in 2015 um, in the state of Minnesota, and Dr. Tony Bark was invited in. I don't know if you've ever heard her speak, no. but no. she... Oh, she does not make a whole lot of sense. And so she came in and like people were laughing. People who weren't even on like our side and legislators were getting up from the table and walking away and she just kept going and going. And I thought, these are not thoughts you share out loud with other people. (laughs) And then one legislator went to the anti-vaccine side and he said, you can't invite her back. People are laughing at her. And they didn't know what they they didn't know what he was talking about. They've shared the video of her talking over and over again because they think she's brilliant. And I just think this is, this is the problem genuinely with social media is that people get into these little groups and they don't get to test market their thoughts (laughs) with the general public and they need to go out and say some words in a coffee shop out loud and see if people turn around and think oh my goodness who are you oh need to focus group before you tweet yes well yes (laughs) some people do um the it's a wakefield has had this kind of dissent 
Uh, and we've had a podcast specifically devoted to kind of his story before. So it's, it is interesting to be able to see some of that stuff that you don't get, you know, you get kind of his public face and the stuff that he'll produce and make look slick. That is at least most of it when he's not comparing the CDC to genocidal maniacs, you know, which he does every once in a while slips out. Pol Pot. Right. Pol Pot and Hitler and whatnot. Um, the he tries to be act like a doctor he tries to act like a scientist he tries to look normal but he does like even years ago he was speaking at 9-11 truther conferences and such and so this is kind of interesting to see like really how deep has he come from i was a you know, a, a, a slimy and unethical, but still an actual researcher to now I have like very tenuous grip on what is going on in the world and how the world works. Uh, as long as I'm, you know, saying the things that continue to get me followers and money. Well, and the, the interesting thing about all of this though, um, is that I'm just going to take us on a little side tour here i don't mm. know if you watched del big tree and we keep bringing him <laughs> up that man yeah, right? del big trees yeah del big trees podcast from the cdc and he went there um but he showed some of his he made a public statement at the end of the acip meeting and uh he sounded reasonable and respectable and not crazy and at the end of it i thought oh this is problematic if andrew wakefield learns how to rein in those shower thoughts Mm -hmm. and if tony bark really does get disinvited to all the things it's going to be a lot harder to convince people who haven't met these people that what they're saying is lies and full of nonsense and and lunacy um it's you know so in in a sense like these get your best life now is that what it was called get your life back yeah (laughs) because you lost it (laughs) your your life was hiding you need to find Find it right now um all all of these things kind of kind of help us and work to our advantage so well, and I think it's that's the way it is. Like you can't really have these beliefs without going further because reasonable people don't go full into believing these things. If you really think that there's a concern about a vaccine, you can raise that in a reasonable form and people do all the time. But when you start going into there's massive problems with the vaccine and it's getting covered up. That's not a thing that you start saying unless you also believe a whole bunch of other, you know, we've talked about crank magnetism and stuff before. Uh, so that kind of, yeah, that, that works in our favor and, and they can't keep it under wraps. Like you mm-hmm. can say that then, but then you get on it, you watch his high wire show and he's just yeah. going bonkers saying yes. odd stuff, acting like he is like, taken some kind of experimental serum and is and kind of ranting all over the place and yeah it's 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 it, they show their colors relatively quickly i think yeah and I after mean, they, after they that up, go ahead uh after that conference i wrote a blog post and one of the things that i really tried to do with that is, is point out that these people who um who have been at the head of movements like the anti-vaccine movement and that there are relatively normal rational people out there who who follow them and just you know they haven't actually done the research they've they've just seen what they saw on social media and they feel like vaccine and and autism are connected and um and some of those beliefs there are rational people out there that that have followed andrew wakefield and i think that to compare him and and point out that he was on the same stage as someone who believes that our bodies are made of stacks of muscles which are batteries and supply voltage to our organs to allow them to continue to function <laughs> and that we can hang a, a rock from a string and diagnose things by waving it over people um that's helpful to me mm-hmm. um i i want them to look crazy mm-hmm. and and it works for me. I'm happy yeah, to I mean, point that he, out. He signed up and went on that conspiracy cruise when it happened, yeah. you know, along with all like a cruise 
name conspiracy. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. With a SCA. Yeah, because that's clever. They want they had to make it clever. But yeah, I mean, you're right. He makes it he's making it easier and they are making it easier by grouping themselves together with people who are conspiracy theorists and who buy into all of this stuff. So for a, you know, somebody, a parent who is just in most cases rational, reasonable, just trying to figure things out. If they see this guy sharing a stage with a 9-11 truther or something like that, I, that should give somebody who is otherwise pretty reasonable a little bit of pause and say, let me let me look into this further and maybe further away from the people who are spewing the conspiracy lines of thinking. So that kind of brings us back to the idea of your podcast. We talked about the origins and how you guys sort of... Uh, decided <laughs> to do some crazy fun stuff but uh what is what is the main focus then of your podcast and what are you going to be doing what do you hope for it I mean I think I want our podcast to be a place where parents can get that sort of evidence science-based perspective on some of the issues that we think about. I mean, everything from the childbirth, like we had Dr. Amy Tudor on recently to talk about hospital birth and home birth and all that goes along with that. We're covering things like dentistry and pediatric chiropractic work, like don't do it. Um, but all those, all those kinds of topics that come up for parents we want to present in a way that hopefully makes them, you know, walk away feeling a little bit less scared, you know, eliminate some of the fear from being a parent. Chad said something really good. Um, he said, Chad, you said something really good. So there's my compliment to you um, in our in a recent episode. Yeah, you live for that moment. But he, <laughs> he said, and it's and I think it's so true that right now is a really safe time to be a child, but it's one of the scariest times to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And I think we we want parents to feel a little bit more okay with with how you know how the world's going for them. So I don't know, Chad. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Natalie said. For me, uh, in my professional life, I spend the majority of my time making parents worry less. Um, they bring their kid in because they're sick, and the parents are worried, and I make sure there's nothing really bad going on. And then I reassure them that, you know, this is going to go away. Uh, There may or may not be anything I can do to make that happen faster. But, uh, but that reassurance is something that I'd spend, you know, the majority of my visits doing are saying, yeah, your kid's developing normally. This growth is fantastic. Um, That those temper tantrums are a normal developmental phase and they will go away. And, or, you know, this is a cold and there's nothing bigger going on. And so that's one of the things that I kind of carry with me to the, the science communication aspect of my life too. And for so many parents out there, like we were talking about before, these, these concerns that aren't really valid take up a lot of time and emotional energy. And I just, I want to help them make rational decisions and worry less about things. And then um, also feel less guilty because when parents talk to other parents and they find out that, um, you know, they've been doing it all wrong because they haven't <laughs> been making their own organic baby food and, you know, they let their kid watch TV once or, um, you know, whatever. There's so many things you can worry about and most of them don't matter. And so my goal is to help people worry less about things that don't matter. And, um, and hopefully just concentrate on enjoying their kids and raising decent human beings. Well, that sounds lovely. And if people want to find your podcast, where do they, where do they go? Where can they look? Where is it? So our medical science.com, right? Is that yep. right? Yeah, yes. that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so that's our, our website. Um, the podcast is on iTunes and Spotify and all the other podcast platforms. Um, our website's at parentheticalscience.com. And then we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the handle for both of those is parasipod, P-A-R-S-C-I-P-O-D. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I want to give a quick call to action. Of course, your call to action is to go ahead and download Parenthetical Science Podcast. And while you're at it, while you're in your Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you're at, go ahead and give their podcast and Vax Talk a five-star review that helps people (laughs) find both podcasts. I think we should over, I think what we need to, I think we need to be asking for, like we need to set our sights higher. We need to ask for, you should go there and give us a six star review. (laughs) That's not possible. (laughs) Well, I think if we say that, then people will be like, well, I don't know if that's a six star podcast, but I'll give them five stars. Gotcha. Okay. That sounds realistic. Six stars. <laughs> My name is Karen Ernst. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find Voices for Vaccines at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Nathan Boonstra, general pediatrician at Blank Jones Hospital. If you want to find me, find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at PedsGeekMD. You can also find me on Facebook by looking for my name or find my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.